0: You guys can go and have a seat. Well, happy Sunday to you. If you're here for the first time or you're with us online, know that we're glad you're here with us. Uh, before we get into Philippians today, I just want uh, to first say, yeah, man, I have been so thankful for each of you. Uh, this, past, this past Monday, I, I tried to make it a, a habit to uh, try to systematically and regularly pray through our membership and just kind of a, as a response to last week's sermon out of thankfulness. Uh, I, I prayed for, for those who are, uh, who are members with us and bought in and just know that I, we, I, I genuinely am thankful for each of you. And so that said, we're going to be in Philippians 1, uh, 12 to 18 today. So you can go ahead and turn there. And, and while you're turning there, I want to bring up a word that comes up in our passage, just a big part of our main idea today. And really the whole, uh, the, really the whole book of Philippians, and it's the word advance, know, I initially wanted to title our series, Advancing in Joy, because the reality is most of the book of Philippians is about advancing the gospel in joy. You can't get through the book of Philippians without seeing this. It's especially prevalent in today's passage. And let me say this, if you're not a Christian here today, or maybe you're watching online, I hope that you would lean in a bit today, because this idea of advancing the gospel, as we see in the Bible, this is just part of being a Christian, which I think we should, uh, we should make you ask the question, what is so great about Jesus that causes Christians to want to share Jesus with others? Maybe asking, uh, how and why does advancing the gospel incite joy for the Christian? What's so great and life-changing about this? And so I hope you'll listen in today. You know, I asked, uh, I asked our staff this past week about what would be a good illustration of this concept of advancement. Uh, not telling them my first initial thought and uh, where I was going with it. And so uh, the first thing that came out of one person's mouth was the idea of football, advancing the ball down the field. The next thing that came out of the, the next thing that brought up was kind of the idea of advancing in a grade, uh, moving up in a grade in school. Uh, but for some reason, whenever I think of this idea of advance, I think of complete global domination, okay? Uh, also known as the board game Risk. <clears throat> I haven't played this game in 13 years. Uh, primarily because it brings out the worst in me. Listen, this is very important, okay? I become a very mean person when I play risk. I am competitive. I do not like to lose, especially board games. Uh, what involves, especially when it involves taking over the world. If you're not familiar with the game, everybody has their own army and the goal is to build up your army and take over and to dominate the world. It is a beautiful thing. I love it. It's a strategic game that involves uh, creating alliances and teaming up with others to take over the top dog. And I must say, I have a secret strategy that I will not share. But let's just say it involves watching everyone else just kind of sit around and implode uh, while I sit back and watch it happen. Just to come in at the very end and slowly and very patiently advance my military region by region, advancing uh, to take over the world. Uh, My military overpowers their weakened military, establishing complete dominance, one region at a time. Uh, And it's a beautiful thing when it actually works. However, the last time I played, which was 13 years ago, uh, with some of my friends, I used my strategy and I watched one of my friends just kind of sit back and implode uh, while speaking very kind words to him in the process. And because of my continual drip of said kind words, uh, he proceeded to knock the board game off the table, yelled not nice words back at me, uh, got in his car and drove back home. And being the good friend that I am, I didn't try to stop him, I just put everything back together. Uh, and con- continue to advance my army around the world, and finished my complete global domination with great joy. It was a beautiful thing, but don't you worry. Uh, we're still friends to this day. Um, after that night, we vowed to never play again. The worst we got the worst of each other, uh, and ironically enough, we're actually both pastors to this day, and uh, working to advance the gospel, showing that yet again, uh, that God can redeem just about anything. Uh, And to connect this with our text today, specifically advancing the gospel, we're going to see another one of Paul's special ingredients to a life of joy. Today we're going to see see our main idea that joy is found in gospel advancement. We'll see at the end of our text today uh, that as Paul speaks on the advancement of the gospel at the very end in verse 18, he says, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. You know, today we're going to see the heart of Paul's life and ministry. We'll see one of Paul's greatest desires, and is to see the gospel above all, for the gospel as first, for the gospel to be first and primary. To see the advancement of the gospel as of primary importance, just like when we advance the ball in football or in the game of risk, Paul knows that when we advance the gospel. We're pushing back. We're pushing out one thing and we're building a new establishment. We're establishing a new ruler saying this is no longer your territory. This territory has now been taken over. But in gospel advancement, it's not through land and territories, but rather it's in the hearts of people. And at the center of the gospel is Jesus Christ who comes into our lives and the lives of those around us and establishes his rule and reign over our lives. Paul knows that if there is no Christ in our life, there is no stable, there is no steadfast, and there is no eternal joy. When the gospel advances, we are advancing eternal joy because we're no longer under the rule of the world. We're under the rule and the reign of Jesus, who, as we saw last week, is our eternal source of joy. And so when we advance the gospel, we're advancing Jesus' rule and reign. We're building God's global kingdom. We're building it one person uh, and one heart at a time. And last week we, we saw Paul introduce the letter and he expresses his incredible thankfulness to the Philippi church. He's, he's reminding them what God began in them, uh, encouraging them that what God starts, he completes, reminding them of their great hope. And then uh, this week we start to see the nuts and bolts of this letter. Now this is a support letter back to the church, back to the church at Philippi, and he's giving them a few more details of what's going on in his life, showing us yet again that his his life is not all rosy and great. And so with that said, today I'm going to read the whole section. I'm going to point out two observations and then go back through uh, verse by verse, explain and teach a few things. And then uh, we're going to have four applications uh, as we go. So two observations and then we'll have four applications um, as we go through the, as the text. But let's dive into God's word. We're going to read the whole thing starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, what has served, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that as I rejoice. As we read this, I want to make two observations. Where we see that Paul is letting the Philippi church know of two challenging life circumstances. And these two specific challenging life circumstances we see up here is that number one, Paul was in prison. Number two, Paul has rivals in his ministry. He has rivals to his ministry. I, you know, I wanted to say he had haters, but I didn't think that would look very good up here, so uh, I went with rivals. Um, So Paul is covering, he's not covering up his challenges. But as we'll see, these challenges, they're not weighing him down either. Look back at verses 12 to 13. I want to read it again. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And so here, Paul is letting them know of his imprisonment. And just kind of as a backstory about uh, this imperial guard and those in prison during this time period, this, the imperial guard in Rome, it consisted of about 9,000 hand-picked soldiers who were honored with double pay. Uh, I mean, these guys were the best of the best. They were honored and they were given special duties and assignments. And so, uh, however, one of the more challenging uh, and not so fun tasks for the imperial guards was to guard the prisoners by being left with them and possibly even chained to them. And so here, here's Paul uh, with these elite guards with lots of power and influence as the Roman empire is expanding. Uh, and they're stuck with Paul uh, for an extended period of time. And not only that, but they're rotating through. Right, I mean, I can't, I can't say this from, from personal experience, but it, it kind of feels like speed dating for Paul with these guards. You know, like uh, they're kind of rotating through one by one, which to me seems a little bit like prison. <laughs> but, uh, but what does Paul do? He uses it to his advantage, and he preaches the gospel to them while they're stuck and they're chained to him. And what's ironic about this uh, was that this is the exact reason he was thrown into jail, for doing this exact same thing of preaching the gospel. And here he is again, he's using his challenges and life circumstances to, to his advantage, similar to what we saw in Acts 16, which uh, we covered in our groups this past week. You know, These guys, they are literally stuck with him. They can't leave him, and the only thing they have to do is to watch him. And so Paul, he speaks about the greatness of Jesus to them, and he wins these elite, high-powered imperial guards to Christ one by one. And so just to read it again, listen to what Paul writes to them. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has, served, has really served to advance the gospel, and so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul saw his circumstances, as Alistair Begg points out. He says, not as a wall to his ministry, but he saw his circumstances as a stepping stone for his ministry. Which leads me to ask, what life circumstances has God placed you in, whether difficult or maybe not so difficult, uh, that can be used for the advancement of the gospel? So what difficulties in your life or in our culture can God use for God's good purposes? You know, when I think back to quarantine, which uh, it wasn't prison, but it sort of did feel like it at times. When I think back to that time, I can't help but think how much better we uh, got to know all of our neighbors. We were stuck. They were stuck. uh, Their kids were stuck. There was no school, uh, no sports, no vacation, nothing. Everybody just stayed home, which provided for us better opportunities to get to know everybody. And some of our best friends now and our kids' best friends are within walking distance to us. You know, before, before quarantine, it felt like a ghost town. And now after quarantine, uh, neighbors in our neighborhood that were planning to move, they're no longer moving. Uh, They've decided now to not move because of the community that's been formed. And so uh, it is now both our duty, we, I, I consider it our duty and our privilege, to see the gospel advance in our neighborhood. And one of the prayers now for our specific neighborhood is that we would have a city group form of the people just within our neighborhood, just within walking distance. You know, Just as a, as a different, uh, different example... You know, me and, me and my wife, Kelly, we both try to use our hobbies that we love to do to use them to live missionally, to build relationships and friendships. And so again, uh, where has God placed you, whether good or bad, that, can, that God can use for gospel advancement? You know, I've, I've already asked this question, but just to keep things streamlined, you know, our first application today is use your life circumstances for gospel advancement. You know, a simple way that has helped me uh, think through this and think about this is to uh, just think about where God has placed us specifically thinking about where you live where you work and where you play what your living situation where do you live think about where you work think about think about your hobbies you know me me and kelly we both primarily parent uh, pr- pr- primarily work from home uh, and so our lost coworkers are our kids and so outside of our family, we have to think about our neighborhoods uh, and, our, and our hobbies. And so how can we get to know our neighbors? Or maybe we can, uh, how, can we, how can we maybe b- bake cookies and deliver them to your neighbors? Maybe we should just kind of walk to their house uh, and invite them over for dinner or just have dinner out in the driveway. But w- whatever we need to do, we need to be intentional to live a life with our, with our coworkers, with our classmates, with those around us. Like, What regular activities do we need to do uh, or to start doing to be further engaged in our community for the purpose of advancing the gospel? At New City Church, one of the things that we believe so clear, so so fervently is that every member is a missionary. We're all missionaries. And so, as we've already said, what challenges are we facing right now? Are you facing right now? And look at those and ask, how can, how can we use these challenges to expand God's kingdom? This is just how missionaries think. How can we speak about the goodness and the greatness of Jesus to those around us amidst our challenges? You know, I don't have a, a doubt in my mind <laughs> that, uh, that the guards at Paul's prisons were probably just dumbfounded and confused by the amount of joy that Paul had while he was in prison. You know, we don't, we don't know what Paul, we don't know all that Paul went through. You know, I'm sure he had times of ups and downs and his share of low points. But I just imagine, based off of this letter, that every time a new guard came to him, I just imagine him from time to time just kind of smiling from ear to ear, Uh <laughs> while they look back wondering, why, what is wrong with this guy? Like, why is he so uh, joyful? Does he know that he's in prison? And, and you know what I'm also sure about? Is he probably also had his times of sorrow and grief. Right? He had his times of tears. But all the while, continuing to rejoice, trusting that Jesus is enough. And in the middle of all of it, In both joy and sorrow, he goes on to share of the incredible and eternal joy that is found in Jesus Christ, knowing that their eternal hope is secure, that he is at peace with God, and that he has the Spirit of God living inside of him. And because of Paul's challenging life circumstances, he was able to share of the greatness of Jesus and the gospel advanced. So again, where has God placed you? Who has God placed in your life? What challenges are you dealing with that God can use uh, to to show the greatness of Jesus? While knowing that it often takes boldness and courage and intentionality to place yourself with opportunities in order to share the gospel, to speak about Jesus in boldness. So that said, let's look back at verse 14. I want to point out a few things here. Verse 14, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Two things I want to point out here. First, what 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 happened to Paul? It encouraged those around him. When Paul displayed a confidence in Jesus and the advancement of the gospel, specifically in the proclamation of the gospel, uh, speaking about Jesus, it encourages those around him. You know, last week I said one of the uh, I said our attitudes are contagious, but do you know what else is contagious? A zeal in evangelism. This is something that I, I've, I have to grow in, and I know it. You know, I'm, I'm eager to see the gospel advance, uh, but I also know that it's really easy for my own personal evangelism to go through cycles and to go through seasons. Of zealousness. And during quarantine and after quarantine, I've been trying to, to work back into it, to try to reestablish a zeal for this in my own life. You know, evangelism is a spiritual discipline. It's just like every other spiritual discipline. We have to work at it. We have to grow in it. You know, the, the more we're disciplined to do evangelism, the more we will grow to delight in it, to, to love doing it. And so I've, I've tried to just schedule it on my calendar, because just like every other spiritual discipline, if we don't make time for it, it likely won't happen. And so what we see from Paul is that his zeal and discipline in proclaiming the gospel, regardless of what happened to him, it encouraged others around him to do the same. And so if you want to encourage our church, do this, okay? Put it on your calendar to share the gospel with someone, pray about it, and then go do it, and then tell someone about it, and then share the good, share the bad, share the awkward, share the ugly. Uh, what did they say? How did they respond? What did, how did you get into the conversation? Uh, when when we are zealous for what is good, when we are zealous for what is good, it's contagious. It builds up and it encourages the church. Paul's zeal in the gospel made others around him zealous in the gospel. But then look what else we saw in verse 14. It says, "Those around him grew in confidence." And the result was to be, as it says at the end of verse 14. It says, "To be more bold to speak the word without fear." leading us to our second application point today, speak the gospel in boldness and without fear. Paul knew that fear and a lack of boldness, they're a common thing for a Christian, for the Christian, specifically in gospel proclamation. You know, I'm going to say this very bluntly, and as I say this, I know that I'm kind of punching myself in the nose here too. You know, timidity, passivity, and fear in evangelism, they are not from the Lord. Passivity and evangelism are not of the Lord. These are subtle and yet destructive lies from our enemy that wants to do everything in its power to keep us from advancing God's kingdom. God's word says over and over again, fear not. And it does not stop with evangelism. You know, I read a story this past week from a friend of mine that really inspired me. He's not actually really my friend. Um, it's Francis Chan's friend, and, but I've read some of his books, so we're basically friends. And one of Francis Chan's fellow pastors at his church, he was driving one day, uh, and the car in front of this pastor, uh, you know, it, it, actually, it accidentally hit a bicycle, and it knocked the bicyclist over. And in his rage, the cyclist, he gets up, and he goes over to the car. He starts banging on the hood. Uh, he opens the door, and he begins, begins hitting and kicking this driver, who happened to be a 75-year-old man. It's terrible, and this pastor he was sitting, uh, sitting there behind them, just kind of watching all of this take place, and his with his young daughter in the back seat. And at the time, you know, he he this guy had a, this pastor. He had a decision to make. What was he going to do? So this pastor decides to help. He goes to pull the cyclist off this guy, but the guy wouldn't stop, and he started to get the, the guy started to get physical with this pastor. He even tore the pastor's shirt off. And then he went back after that to go then assault the driver even more. And so the pastor, he, he had another decision to make. Should he just punch this guy? And he decided, yes, he should. And with one big upper punch, uppercut punch to the jaw, uh, with many surrounding witnesses, he just knocks the guy out. And all those that are around us, they were, they were clapping and cheering and they honked because they saw what was happening to this poor guy. And then the police come to verify, and the policeman asks the pastor, how many, how many times did you punch this guy? And he was laid out on the floor. He responded, I just did it once. He says back, really, just once? He said, yeah, just, just once. Uh, and they, you know, he's like, yeah, that's what everybody else said. They just went about, back about their day. But I don't, I don't know what this says about me, but these are the types of stories that I just love. I just dream about. Right? I love it because you know, when we think about this, I think many of us would have inter- intervened at some level. You know, we would have tried to help the poor guy in a physical way to stop the assault, just like the pastor. You know, I mean, just think, what would have just think how, many, how many of us would have had the courage to intervene in some way. Right? I mean, I think we would have. I mean, I hope you would agree. Maybe we would have tried to do something. But then to ask a follow-up question for each of us, how many of us would have the courage to sit down and speak the gospel to a 75-year-old man who was sitting at a restaurant who, who we knew that he wasn't a Christian? Would we try to engage in a spiritual conversation with this guy, which leads us to ask, why do we find it so much easier to engage in physical matters than in spiritual matters? And and what I think we need to say about this is that there is a deeper conflict going on. There is a spiritual war and the enemy wants to do everything in his power for us to not engage in spiritual matters such as proclaiming the gospel. There's no doubt about it. Gospel proclamation, it requires boldness and courage. My continual prayer for me and my family and our church is that we will be a missionally urgent people. That we would herald and proclaim and speak the truth of God with urgency and zeal and boldness with great courage. And, you know, a simple and hard question to ask ourselves is who are we fearful to share the gospel with? What person in your life do you pray for but you're just afraid to share with? I've got those people. I would encourage you to stop and, and step into that this week. And do you know what, shouldn't, what wouldn't surprise me? If that someone was someone you've built a relationship with at school or at work, in your neighborhood, wherever you have fun, whatever you, wherever you interact with others, while all, all, all the while remembering that fear is not from the Lord. Courage and boldness are from the Lord. And that said, I want to get into these next few verses, which honestly, these next few verses, they've always felt a little strange to me. Uh, stopping in verse 14 uh, just seems a little bit more natural. But then we have, we have to deal with these next few verses. We, we, need to deal with, uh, what we, we need to deal with the other problem that Paul's experiencing. In these verses, we see that Paul, he has rivals. They're, they're somewhat, they're competing with Paul. Look what these next three verses say. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So here we see our second observation played out in Paul's life. You know, the first, Paul, we saw that he was in prison. And the second is that Paul he has rivals in his ministry. There are some mean dudes that don't like Paul. They consider Paul a rival. And what we need to be clear on in this is that uh, his rivals are not proclaiming heresy. That's an important detail. Uh, What they were saying was true. We know from Galatians 1, Paul says uh, that if anyone preaches a gospel contrary to what you received, Paul says in response, he says, a curse be on them. But that's not what was happening here. They're preaching a true gospel. They just have bad motives. Again, he says in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Some are proclaiming Christ from, from good motives and goodwill and others from bad motives, such as envy or rivalry. You know, I've always found this so interesting. It's, it's almost like, hey, hey, Paul, I'm mad at you. So because I'm mad at you, I'm going to get back at you and I'm going to go preach the gospel. It just seemed kind of strange to me. It never really has made much sense to me until I actually started to be involved in ministry. You know, what Paul is speaking of, I think, is far more prevalent in the Christian culture than we realize. You know, what happens often is that we become more eager for our own glory than Christ's glory. Ministry becomes a means to be recognized, to be noticed, or to seek the praise of man. It becomes a comparison game. To look at the success of others and become envious or to have a spoken or unspoken competition, this can often be subtle and can be very destructive. And it's not just pastors comparing churches to churches or those in full-time vocational ministry, this is true for the church at large. It's very easy to do ministry or to serve, to go on a mission trip, to to live on mission, whatever it is, all good things, but doing it for the purpose of being noticed. This is something we have to all continually keep watch of and to not fall into the danger of thinking something like, why why does that person get that opportunity? Or maybe thinking, you know, I, I think I could do that ministry better than that person this is something we need to keep watch of. This is something we need to be careful of. It can be very destructive, and it can steal our joy. May we be a church. May we be a people that when, others, when other people in other churches have great success, we would be cheering them on. Ministry is not a competition. We are all on the same team. Trying, We are all trying to advance God's kingdom. We need to understand that we have an enemy that wants to corrupt and destroy us in any way possible. And if he can't do it through sex, money, or materialism, he will certainly do it through envy and rivalry. And this is what Paul was experiencing. Others didn't like his platform and the influence that Paul had. And so so they were preaching Christ, which is a good thing, but they were doing it with bad motives. It was more for them and their fame than for the fame of Christ. But what I love about this is Paul's response. In verse 18, this is what Paul says in our last verse today. It says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Paul doesn't engage in the controversy at hand because he knew it was petty and menial. There were brothers in Christ. Uh, they were brothers in Christ. Theological precision, it was not that was not the issue. He was putting into practice what he said in 2 Timothy 2.23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant arguments. You know that they breed quarrels. Instead of arguing with his opponents, rather, he essentially says, praise God, Christ is being proclaimed. And so coming out of that, what I want us to consider for our third application is number three, keep the gospel above all. Keep the gospel above all. This is a great example of keeping the gospel of primary importance. There was a controversy at hand. The Bible said there was rivalry and envy and selfish ambition at work around Paul. uh, But yet they were still proclaiming Christ. Paul was likely being ridiculed. He was probably being publicly shamed. Uh, Others were trying to afflict him in his imprisonment. That word afflict in verse 17, uh, it can also be translated as to stir up an inward annoyance, some trouble of spirit. They were trying to rub salt on Paul's wounds by preaching Christ. And Paul, in essence, says the most important thing that is is happening is that the gospel is being proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Pastor Kent Hughes, he said Paul was so gospel intoxicated, so centered on getting the good news of Christ out to the lost in Rome that his feelings and aspirations were subsumed and subject to the gospel. Paul was so consumed with getting the gospel to the lost as his greatest aspiration that everything else around him, every trouble, every strife, every affliction, every quarrel was put aside, pushed aside for the advancement of the gospel. Paul had a gospel above all, a gospel first mentality, and it caused him to rejoice with joy. And when I think about this in my own life, the seasons where I have the most joy, the seasons are often the seasons where I'm often the most missional. When I put Christ in others first, when I love God and others, and when my primary aim is to see the gospel advance, when Christ's glory is put above my own glory. Those are the times when I often have the most joy, but then the seasons where I have the least amount of joy, oftentimes, are the seasons I focus on myself and what others think of me, on the troubles and the strife around me, and when I put my own glory above Christ's glory. This is a very hard and I would claim miserable life to try to keep up. Getting caught in the rat race of our own glory, will only, it will only give the illusion of joy, but it will not last and will eventually leave us miserable and it will leave us joyless. Hear this. God created us to live a life on purpose. God created us to live for him and to worship him. God's purpose for our life is to make disciples. God created us to worship him and he wants us to add more worshipers to his kingdom to do whatever it takes to give God the most glory. Our primary purpose in life is not our work. It's not what we have or don't have. And it's not to bring ourselves the most glory that we can bring ourselves. No. Our primary purpose, our primary calling, our eternal calling is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. To proclaim to the world that Jesus is better, that the cross is sufficient, that by trusting in Jesus Christ your sins can be forgiven. If you're not a Christian here today, hear this. Hear this. That through Jesus Christ you can be made new. You can be made clean and you can be given a new life and given a new direction. Christian, we can show that the world, we live for something far greater than anything this world has to offer. It has been made abundantly clear this year that our world will not satisfy us. Yes, we are called to engage in the world, seeking to bring hope to the here and now. It is our duty and our God-given command, but the unfortunate reality is whatever we do, We will never fully quench what our souls long for, which is a life at peace with God, a life satisfied by our eternal creator, a life under the rule and reign of Jesus. The only way we can bring hope to a parched soul searching for hope is to present to them Jesus Christ. There are so many good things that we are called to as Christians, and we should do them. But what we see throughout Paul's ministry is that the gospel of Jesus Christ was of primary importance. The proclamation and the advancement of the gospel was above all else. It was the main thing. Paul was eager to see people come to faith in Jesus, to see them grow in their faith of Jesus, and for them to also do the same for others. If we need to remember anything in our current season, it is that we are first and foremost a gospel people. We need to be reminded over and over and over again that Jesus is our foundation, that Jesus is alone enough, that Jesus alone will sustain us. We need to remember that if we have a faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus has bought us with a price. He has given us an incredible hope and he gives us a reason to rejoice. We need to remember that we we need the gospel every day as our primary uh, as primary in our life. We need to practice daily rejoicing in Jesus. We need to remember that although our sin is great, that Jesus is far greater. That by believing in Jesus Christ, we need to remember that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Christian, hear this. God takes us, God takes us as wicked rebels. And only because of Jesus Christ, we are now clothed with the king's garments. We were once rejected and worthless, but through Jesus Christ and him alone, have now been deemed precious and infinitely valuable. That's good news. Brothers and sisters, we have a faith worth rejoicing over. And as a, as, a, as a result, we have a faith worth proclaiming to the world. Because listen, there are parched souls all around us that are looking for the quenching water of Jesus Christ. And hear this we have, we have the privilege. We have the privilege to rejoice and say, here's the water of Jesus Christ. Here's the water that will quench your parched soul. New City Church, we can rejoice in the gospel. And when we rejoice in the gospel, we want to share the gospel. If we have a hope worth rejoicing over, we have a hope worth sharing. There's no doubt about it. Gospel proclamation telling others about Jesus is worship. It gives God glory. It shows that God is supreme. When more people worship Jesus, when the gospel advances, Jesus receives greater worship and he receives more worship, which leads us to our last application. Number four, rejoice in gospel advancement. The very last thing Paul said again in verse 18 was that Christ was proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Again, circling back around to our our main point for today is that joy is found in gospel advancement. As we'll see today, whenever someone professes faith in Jesus and gets baptized, it's worth celebrating. It, it's an incredible reason to rejoice. But you know what's interesting about verse 18? Paul did not say, people were coming to faith, therefore he rejoiced, which, which, as I said, this is absolutely worth rejoicing over it. We rejoice. But what Paul said in this verse, Paul said, Christ is proclaimed. And because Christ was proclaimed, Paul rejoiced. You know, there's a common leadership saying that says we replicate what we celebrate. May may New City Church be a people that celebrate and rejoice over the proclamation of the gospel. This is what this means. If you share Jesus with someone, you should celebrate that. You should tell others about it. It will encourage them. Saying something like, bro, sis... My neighbor, my neighbor that I've been so nervous to share Jesus with, I shared Jesus with them this week, obviously. What from Paul says in our passage today is we need to be careful not to do this from selfish ambition. But nonetheless, it's worth celebrating. If we want to build up the church, share Jesus, rejoice and celebrate it and then continue for God to bear fruit. You know, just is a cool little side story that happened this week. You know, I don't want you to miss, I don't want you to miss how God is moving in our church. So a lot has happened this week. You know, I, I've been praying for ways to be more disciplined in evangelism in my own life, and the life of our church. And we would, that we would have a zealously evangelistic culture, that we would be marked by our missional urgency. And so this week, you know, me and, me and Kelly, we were driving to Orlando on Tuesday to meet a few other pastors here in Florida And I've already kind of started most of the sermon trying to think through everything I've kind of set up to this point and how I can apply it to my own life. And pretty early into the drive, you know, it was was kind of raining, kind of like today. I received a phone call from someone here in Florida. It's over a lot of the church planting efforts in our state. Uh, And he proceeds to tell me that they decided they wanted to strategically invest in a few select church plants across the state, specifically for advancing the gospel. And the guy told me they, they chose our church, New City Church, as one of those few churches. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. You know, I didn't, I didn't apply for anything. I was just like out of the blue. It just kind of landed in our lap on a phone call. I, I was completely unexpected. And then he proceeds to tell me they wanted to give our church $5,000 for gospel advancements. Those, those were his words. Yeah, praise God for the purpose of strategically advancing the gospel in our city. And I was like, well, that's kind of cool. I'm about to preach a sermon on the joy of advancing the gospel. And you're about to give me, give us $5,000 to do just that. And right after the call, immediately, I immediately thought of the parable of the talents. I just preached a passage a few weeks ago to college students at USF. And I I couldn't help but think as the parable draws out, we have been entrusted with $5,000 to leverage for God's kingdom. And so we have to now ask How can we best use our master's resources to advance the gospel to further his kingdom? And just so you know, we think about this for every single dollar that comes into our church, but I believe God wants us to use this money for something strategic that would spur each of us on in boldness and encourage to see Jesus proclaimed in our city. You know, we've got a few thoughts and ideas of what we may do, and we're still praying over a lot of this, but my first thought is to use our best resource that God has entrusted to us, which is each of you which is each of you, to use these resources that we've been entrusted with for the purpose of gospel advancement. Whatever it is we do, it's going to be a church-wide effort. We want to leverage every single resource we've got to make the greatest impact possible in order to see the gospel advance here in Tampa. And know this, it will require courage and boldness. And so in the last several minutes of our time, i want to kind of circle back around to the opening illustration with the board game. Uh, when we think about this board game Risk, it's, it's called Risk because at every, at every turn, Risk is involved. Right, every turn you take, you're, you're essentially taking a risk in order to advance your army and take over the world. You roll the dice, and, and, and when, if you win the dice roll, you, you take part of the army, you, take, you take, part, take out part of their army, and depending on the size of the army versus your opponent's army, it's the level of risk you're actually taking. So in essence, there's a calculated risk. For example, if you've got a one-man army going against a much larger army, this calculated risk does not look so good. So you have to ask, are you willing to take this risk? And so as we reflect on this idea of courage and risk, specifically in gospel advancement, we know that courage and boldness, they are required while also remembering we're called to fear, we're called to fear not. But when we really think about this, when we realized that both courage and risk are required, we realized when we really pushed into this, we realized that courage and risk are required, but not that much. Because we realized that although there is a risk, it is a calculated risk. And the most calculated risk we can take is a risk backed by the God of the universe. Courage is required, but not that much courage. Because listen, we know that we are engaging in a spiritual war that has already been won. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to miss this today. God is building His kingdom. God is building His church. God is advancing His gospel and changing lives. When we see the outcome, the result of gospel proclamation, like we'll see today in the waters of baptism with our new brother in Christ, when we, when we witness baptism, the bu- public confession of faith, displaying to a watching world that He is no longer dead in His sins, but He is. He has been raised to life with Christ. When we see someone cross from death to life, when we rejoice and scream and shout for our new brother in Christ, celebrating his new life that is found in Jesus, when we see this and we witness this, may it spur us on with a zealous faith to be courageous and bold. May it spur us on to be intentional and urgent to speak of Jesus to those, to those who do not know him. So that this may happen time and time and time again while ultimately seeing and realizing that the joy is found in advancing the gospel. And so that said, I want to shift gears here. And I want to set up and explain what's about to happen here uh, in baptism. So the rest of the worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. In just a minute, Jordan and the worship team will lead us in a song, two songs. And after the first, time, after the first song, we're going to baptize our brother Stuart. And I'm going to ask Stuart two questions. He says, do you, I'm going to ask him, while the song's being played, do you believe Jesus has done everything necessary to save you? And then the second, will you follow him as Lord of your life? And after, the, after he answers those two questions, while we're, while we're singing, we will baptize him, symbolizing that he has been buried with Christ, that his old life is gone, and he has now been raised with Christ, walking in the newness of a life with Christ. And this is important, listen baptism does not save us. Believing in Jesus alone is what saves us. Baptism is merely a symbol. It's a public profession of faith. It's the first step of obedience in the life of a Christian. And just as an, just another encouragement, what makes Stuart's baptism special for us is that he's the first of hopefully many to pass through the waters of baptism here at New City Church. All right, praise God. But I also don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. Because of this, you know, we've been praying for Stuart for over 18 months. For me personally, or for over two years. Right, we were praying collectively 18 months ago before we even moved here for God to begin drawing people to himself on the campus at USF. And we now have a face with a name. I and mean, then get this, get this. On Monday, August 31st, We called out in prayer. We gathered together as a corporate body of believers. We gathered on on a night of prayer and worship, praying and begging God to move. And one of those many prayers was for us to baptize our very first person this semester. And this is crazy. Six days later, the very next Sunday, Stuart comes walking through our door. And today we have the privilege of baptizing him as he makes a public profession of faith. Brothers and sisters, God is moving. God is working. God is building his church. Let's celebrate today the new life that is found in Jesus Christ. And let's pray and let's beg God for so many more. Let's pray. God, you are good. God, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of rejoicing. Father, may we see and celebrate the life of a a new life today in Christ. Celebrating what you have done, crossing from death to life. And may we pray and beg God for so many more. This would just be the, the tipping point, the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg, Father. We would see so many come through the waters of baptism. May we be spurred on with a zealous faith to share the gospel and proclaim the gospel in boldness. Father, we need you and we ask this in Jesus.